Hello and welcome back to the Seattle Bird Podcast. Just a heads up, this is part two of an interview I did with Dr. Kaylee Swift. For all of the context, you should really listen back to episode one, which focused more about crows. However, if you want to listen to this one first, all you need to know is that Dr. Kaylee Swift is a corvid researcher, which means she studies crows, ravens, and their relatives. Where are you currently doing research? Yeah, so I am currently on an island uh, in the West Pacific called Tinian. And Tinian is part of the Northern Mariana Islands. And the Northern Mariana Islands is uh, often a, a completely unheard of place for many Americans. But this area is actually part of the United States. It's a commonwealth. Uh, and it's, it, um, that's been the case since the um, 1970s. And this area was actually very, very pivotal during the course of, of World War II. Um, and I, I encourage any of your listeners to, to do a little bit of, of research to look into this place because it it's very important. And I think as Americans, right, in an area well far away from the continental United States, it's always important for us to be paying attention to those places and what's going on there. But what brings me to this very small, remote island is that there's a songbird here called a Tinian monarch. And when I say monarch, a lot of people think butterflies, but monarch actually describes a whole group of songbirds that we don't have in the United States, but exist in many other parts of the world. Um, and they're related to flycatchers. And there's a particular monarch that only lives on this one island called Tinian. And so that's what I'm out here studying. So Tinian monarchs, they're not corvids, right? They are not corvids, no. And so a lot of people are like, wait, but you have a background in corvids and you don't study crow now? What, like, what gifts? <laughs> yeah. So what got you into studying these birds? Yeah. So the answer is sort of twofold. Uh, and as especially as, you know, some of your listeners might be interested in pursuing higher education, graduate school, because they want to become bird scientists or, or study, uh, maybe not birds, maybe it's some other kind of animal. Um, one thing that I think is a common misconception is this idea that whatever you do in graduate school, whatever you pick, that's what you end up studying for the rest of your career. And for most scientists, either by choice or just because opportunities were limited, that's often not the case, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, in my case, you know, I would love to be working with crows again, doing more behavior stuff, but um, that hasn't been a possibility so far. It just those opportunities haven't sort of come about at this point. And so I'm very happy then as an alternative to be continuing just more general bird work, be able to be in the field, watching birds, handling birds. I'm, I'm really grateful that I still get to stay in that area of research. Um, but yeah, but it's not an uncommon thing. And so, yeah, sometimes that's a bummer because that means you, you aren't studying, you know, your main, uh, animal or your main question that you'd like to be spending your time on, or it can be a really good thing because it means that rather than endlessly waiting for an opportunity, you know, for a really rare opportunity to come about, you can diversify and, and learn new things. And then maybe one day circle back to that original, question or animal or whatever it was that interested you. So what is uh, life like 
doing uh, research on the Tinian monarch? Like, how do you spend a typical research day? Right now, the the main thing that we're focused on is looking at uh, territory size for these birds. And so the way that we are evaluating that is through what's called radio telemetry. Now, the sort of old school method, if you wanted to, to look at that question, is you would capture the birds, you would put um, colored bands around their legs, and then you would go out and you'd look for them, you'd recite them, and you know take a recording and put it on a map of every place that you saw them. And then after you get enough of those recites, you can, you know, you would, they would literally, back in the day, they would have like a sheet of graph paper. I don't even know, do, can't, do you use graph paper anymore? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I personally love graph paper, but I- Great, okay, yeah. okay. So you can imagine then, they would have like a piece of graph paper and they would put, draw hand by hand each point, and then they would just connect the outer perimeter and be like, okay. That's where the bird lives. Uh, but the problem with that method is, you know, you're only getting points in places where you looked for the bird or were able to see the bird, right? But birds can sometimes go places we wouldn't necessarily expect them to be. And so maybe you're not looking there and you're missing those points. So the, the more sophisticated way to get that kind of data is to attach something to the bird that emits a signal so that rather than us sort of blindly searching, we can go out and try and intercept where the bird is based on a signal that it's, it's giving out. And so that's what the radio telemetry allows us to do. So a typical day for me looks one of two ways. One way is that we're just trying to catch a bird so that we can put one of these little units on. And, and the birds, the monarchs that we banned are very small. They're only about 12 grams. Picture a, oh shoot, I'm trying to think of a good, I mean, picture like a junco. It's a little bigger than a junco, but like a small bird. Don't picture a crow, <laughs> very small bird. Fits nicely in your, the palm of your hand. Um, and so the units we put on them are about the size of a tic-tac and we just glue them to the tail feathers. And the reason we do that is these units, they're so small, they have very limited battery lives. So we don't want to, we don't want a bird to have to carry this around needlessly the rest of their lives. We, they only need to carry them around for a couple weeks, but we also don't want to have to recapture the bird to try and get it off. So by gluing it to the tail feathers, that means eventually it will naturally shed those feathers, drop that tag, and then it doesn't have to deal with it. But we are, as a rule, if you're attaching something like that to a bird, you can only attach something that is less than 3% of a bird's overall body weight. And that's something that's really specifically regulated because we obviously wouldn't want to put something so big on a bird that it hinders its ability to fly or move around normally. And so, um, so a, a typical day might just be that we have identified an area or a, a particular territorial bird that we want to try and catch and we just spend the whole day trying to outsmart this little bird <laughs> and putting up these big nets that they kind of look like volleyball nets they're called mist nets and they're made of really fine nylon or polyester mesh and the idea is if you can you you have to clear vegetation on either side 
but once the net is fully extended because that material is so fine it kind of just blends into the background you can't really see it anymore and unlike a volleyball net that's taut right the net is taut in every direction if you used that to try and catch a bird then what would happen is it would hit the net and there'd be so much tension that it would just bounce right out and fly away so what mist nets do is they're tiered where there's a line and then netting and then a line and netting and the netting between each of those lines is really slack kind of makes this like pocket that droops down so that when the bird hits it there's room for it to fly into the net suddenly it's like uh oh i'm stopped they stop flying and then they fall and that pocket kind of gently catches them and they get tangled in the netting and then we go and we we take them out uh, and then we can process the bird and sometimes that whole you know sometimes we just like boom we put it up in exactly the right spot we do a little playback maybe a territorial mail call uh, something like that maybe like a begging call from a juvenile it depends on the type of bird if we're trying to catch a male or a female and just like we do that territorial playback and that male is just like oh what is that get out of here gives my territory and he just flies right into the net and you're just like yeah oh my gosh that's so easy but a lot of the times it he comes in and he stops just short of the net and he perches right above it and he looks down at it and then your goose is cooked <laughs> and you got to move it you got to try all over again so it's a lot of just being crouched uh, in wet bushes sitting on the ground for hours at a time desperately hoping that this bird will fly into this net and just getting progressively more frustrated and sad when it doesn't and then and then when it does then you do you do a big happy dance or alternatively if we already have a telemetry unit on a bird or on a few birds, then what we're doing is we're going out and just chasing them around the jungle. So we have this big antenna, this big metal antenna that we have to carry around and it's linked to our, our receiver, which we sort of carry uh, like a purse on our hip a bit. And uh, we're just hearing like beep, beep, and you're waiting for those beeps to get louder. And that means you're getting closer. It's, it's kind of like playing a game of hot or cold, actually. Uh, and we're just going around the jungle trying to see that bird. And as soon as we, we get close enough and those beeps are loud enough, we're looking with our binoculars or with our eyes. Okay, there it is, there it is, take the GPS point. And then the bird flies away and boom, we have to go chase after it through the, through the jungle, which is depending on our particular field site, sometimes that's fairly easy because there's not very much you know ground cover so you can see where you're running you can see what's there but a lot of times that's a pretty hard thing to do because there's these sort of tall knee or thigh high bushes and they're concealing all kinds of really <laughs> really dangerous and uh, things like big scraggly rocks or stumps and so when you're running just trying to keep your eyes up uh, you know, in the canopy, chirping after a bird, you're running and all of a sudden, bang, you get something right in the shin. And I've, I've got all kinds of new scars and stuff on my legs from chasing these birds around. But it's extremely thrilling. It can be very frustrating, but it's also, you know, very, very thrilling. And at the end of the day, you're like, yes, we got all these new points. We followed this bird into an area we didn't think it went. So we have a better sense of its territory and it's, it's very rewarding. Thank you so much to Kaylee Swift for the interview, and make sure to tune back in next week for another Spotlight Bird episode. 
As always, music is by Felix. Audio editing is by me. Until next time.